0: Hey, welcome to the Everyday Sniper, Sniper, you got Frank here from Sniper's Hide, been talking with Mike, he's over at Mile High, I'm in between my trip, actually tomorrow I'm back on the airplane heading up to Alaska, so I'll see you guys in Alaska tomorrow, we'll be at Sweet 100 uh, that Thursday night, and then Friday we'll be up at the Sheep Creek Lodge doing our thing, getting ready for the classes, I got classes starting on Saturday, And then I go until the 15th, uh, I'll be back. So quite a bit of stuff going on in Alaska, great learning um, opportunities up there because everybody comes in so raw, you know, they don't get the same access as we do down here in the lower 48 to all the latest and greatest. And so you see kind of that newer evolution of people coming up into the shooting community, which is good. I really dig that. Because it's it's kind of raw and fresh, you know, and, and they're they're catching up in a lot of ways, going from their hunting rifles to the Ruger RPRs and then to some of their custom-made rifles. So it's all good stuff um happening there. But I want to jump into it with my part two of the sniperside team challenge discussion. And I'm gonna bring up the Vectronics, man. I'm gonna go hardcore with that. I got the Vectronics on the Friday before I left, right? Or you know that night I did the video and or the next day went out. We took the uh, the Terrapin X right. So the Vectronics got me the new Terrapin X and Philip from Vectronics actually came to Colville, Washington, and we had him there and I got to sit down and talk with them and go over that. So this is going to be my Vectronics heavy discussion. Uh, Over on the hide, on Sniper's Hide, there is some big discussions, multiple pages, six, seven pages, in regard to Vectronics and where they are. And so I want to address some of those questions, my lessons learned with it, and and the connectivity. Uh, Right off the bat, understand that the new Terrapin X is different from the original Terrapins, and it's completely different from the 10s and 15s and so on. Those are military units, the 10s and 15s, right? And and they have that really far range and and all that. The 5 was kind of like the 10 light, you know? So it had beyond 3,000 meter capability and, and it was really standardized for that. So guys got away with doing a lot of ELR stuff. The etched reticle in it gave you a really fine aiming point. It had great beam divergence and it worked really, really well for your typical long range shooter it it was a bit of overkill but in the right way you know it it's it's not so light as a commercial you know $1000 or less unit but at the same time Vectronics was losing money on it because it should have been priced closer to a 10 and 15 model and not down at that 1995 and that's what killed the original Terrapin so this one we took out and in the bright sunlight, and again, bright sunlight is one of the biggest detractors of range for a laser rangefinder. Go figure. If you use it at night, the thing will work really good. But we can't see you use it at night, you know. But during the day, that sunlight degrades the range a bit. Well, I was able to get my man-sized target at uh, one mile, no problem. I got a little bit beyond that with with some similar size targets. When I got to mile high with it and talking with Mike, we went out and put it on the tripod and and we were outside and there's a lot of stuff. There's a water tower down the street from mile high. We got at 2,600. Picked that up, no problem. There's a car dealer across the way and it had light posts with the big overhead lights for the car lot and that was like eighteen hundred, I think, and we were able to pick up the light posts, no problem. Across the way there were houses, and the houses were just beyond three thousand yards. We didn't get them every time. We only got them, you know, a couple times when the when the you know depending on when their clouds were in the sun, we'd get it. We wouldn't. We'd get it. We wouldn't. You know, and it just depended on what part of the house we hit. So, I would say for dependability wise, you're looking at twenty five hundred and in, in yards on the Terrapin X. So that kind of limits the ELR because there's a lot of guys. Well, what do we do about our 10s and 15s? I don't think this is the proper replacement for your 10s and 15s if you're shooting ELR. Now, if you're shooting, you know, 2500 and in and you need the laser, it is a better replacement. It's lighter. It has that connectivity. It's, you know, it's it's super easy and 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 it's not that big square box. It's not the brick. We used to call it the brick, you know, those the 10s and 15s cuz they're just these square clunky boxes. And you know, then you needed the Charlie, the the 1015 Charlies to do the cable connection, hook to your trimbles and things like this. This connection works great in the app uh which I should be getting pretty soon. Um Philip's going to send me over the the stuff for the app. The app works really well. You can even fire the unit with the app. You can do settings and different things in the app, and the app connects directly up to it. So you can put it on a on a tripod, point it at something. If you've you got it aimed well with a target, then you can fire it remotely from your app. The other kind of neat commercial thing, remember, commercial unit, the Vectronics, is that it does like, Photograph so you can range a target, you can take a picture of the scene, and then it'll overlay this target was ranged by my Terrapin X at you know 1800 yards and create a you know an Instagram or Facebook image for you. So there's some really neat things, but for what we do, they're looking at connectivity with other apps and things, right? So they want to become a solution for your your kestrel and solution for apps and hopefully I can talk to Garmin and those guys and they can get connectivity for that kind of stuff. I think the Garmin would be really great with like Weatherflow, the 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 um you know the Bluetooth weather meter connectivity and like the Vectronics. If you put that together with the Garmin, I think the Garmin becomes a super viable Kestrel replacement. I like the screen a little better, I like the controls a little better. But right now we're dealing with the Vectronics and the Vectronics uh, connects to the Kestrel. And so instant, no problem. You know, you just fire it up, you make sure it's connecting, and you're good to go. So I go to the match, I check it out, I'm making sure it's all working, everything's good. I'm I'm ready. I'm good to go. Now I backed myself up. I had the Kestrel. And I had the Garmin. Those were the two pieces of software I used, and I had them lining up and true together. And uh, I'm going to kind of go over and read in a second what I had talked about in, on the hide there. Uh, somebody was asking about the wind zone one, wind speed one, wind speed two, and why we turn it to zero, but that's a, a, a kind of a, a, at the end of this discussion. So now I get up to the stage one. And the way the Sniper's High Team Challenge works is. There's no restrictions. There's no nothing. If you carry it, and like I said, we average five miles a day walking up and down the hills. Uh, you know, on Sunday we ended up calling for a couple rides to to shorten some of the long walks. But we still walked five miles, even getting rides from all the way to the end, coming all the way back. Called a called our RO Uber. Um, so we get on the radio from a stage and said, "Hey, send a four wheeler over." And they, we threw our gear in, and we can go and in, into the next stage. That was a greater distance away. You know, we didn't do it for the short stages. But the format is you come up to the line, the RO will point out. And now the targets, they're not obvious, but they're not necessarily hidden. Hidden. They're just in a certain you know zone that you're looking at and if there's gaps in the trees you have to know the right gap in the tree and the, and the gaps in the trees were really great because they fouled a lot of the other lasers out there you need that tight beam divergence especially once you start getting out that six seven hundred yards and the gap appears and to get through it so the RO will say okay you got you know seven minutes for the team you're gonna shoot. The four targets the one's located there, one's located there, one's located there, and one's located there, so then the clock starts you got to find the target again, you got to range it and then you got to shoot it okay and then if you had a handgun, you had a tra- for stage you had a transition to handgun at the end and four targets in seven minutes for teams may sound like a lot of times, but our first stage we' were actually right on the edge of that and we're running out of time with uh a, a Trig got to the handgun. I was kind of just out of time right then. So it goes by a lot faster than you think because you're trying to fine tune that stuff. And really, you just got to knock it out. Now, I had zero issue with the Terrapin picking up a target. The problem was right now, it does not connect to like A, B, C, D. Through the Kestrel. Kestrel you can scroll through and set target A, target B, target C and make them active. It would be great and I know they're looking at it and going to do it. But I'm only able to use target A so it's one at a time. So, you know, the, the kind of the way you would do it would hit the first target, get the range, write it down. Hit the second target, get the range, write it down. Hit the third and the fourth and so on. Write them on your arm bar. And then I would go in with my Kestrel, go to the first target, scroll to my Kestrel, put the range down, shoot it, go to the next one, scroll the range, shoot it, and so on. Well, that worked out great, stage one. I get to stage two, stage two. Go up to the line, and stage two had a little wider spread between targets, right? They were kind of linear, but they went off on an angle and they were farther apart. I shoot the first target, I'm good to go, I get it, I go down, I shoot it. We shoot the second target, and I drop down, or you know, I hit it with the laser. I drop down to my Kestrel, and my Kestrel says for a range 446 yards, but my dope in the Kestrel window says 0.07, so less than a tenth of a mil. 0.074. A 446 yard target I'm like whoa that's not right what the hell but do it again do it again do it again and I'm looking at it and it's still giving me this number well I whip my Kestrel because it's around my neck hanging on the lanyard I whip it around behind my neck I go to the Garmin I scroll the 440 or yeah 450 put it on and shoot the stage well Eric Eric's probably listening hey Eric he grabs it and he's looking at the Kestrel and the numbers look good to him he puts in 1,400 yards and it only gives him four mils. So now when I'm over with the stage and I'm done and everything's all you know set up, I go over to him and I look at it. Well, then I scroll into the submenu of Target because I know the Vectronics is feeding more than just range into the Kestrel. It feeds azimuth, it feeds angle, and it feeds all this stuff. So scroll into Target in the submenu and I look at it and it looks pretty good. Then I scrolled down one page, like one button pushed down. Negative 65. It, pu- it put in a declination of negative 65. And this was something I was talking to the FinAccuracy guys yesterday about it. One of the deals with the new Terrapin is a single button. You used to have a function button on the old ones, right? The, the, the 10s, the 15s, and the 5s have a function button, an F, and then they have a fire button with an arrow to range. So you would use just that one button, arrange it, and then when you had to play with the, the settings, you hit the function button. Well, this one has one button. Multiple button clicks will change things. You know, I talked about three clicks to set the app uh, in Kestrel up, one, two, three. You can go into Kestrel app, set that, confirm it, one, two, three to confirm, you're good. You want to do yards versus meters, you go one, two, three, four, five, six. Get the choice of yards or meters, put in which one you want, then one, two, three, four, five, six confirms it. Now, if you hit the range once and then in the target range is still up in the kestrel, and then you start hitting the button again. Well, you'll change and start scrolling through the other functions like azimuth and angle and, and the, in the corrected range and things like that. So now you're accessing other menu things to give you more display. Um, so what it did is when I was either coming down or something while I still had the range up and in there I hit the button twice or something. I, multi, I, I hit it more than once probably. I probably hit it once or twice and it fed the Kestrel negative 65 degree angle. Problem is, when you manly go into the Kestrel and you see something's not right and you change the range, it doesn't change that angle. So, thinks I'm shooting downhill at a negative 65 degree angle, and we all know there was no negative 65 degree angle out there where I was shooting. So, I was stuck. Ah! Until I was able to fix it. So, my thing was... I turned off the Bluetooth connection and just went for range. Just manually ranged the target, wrote that down, and didn't let it connect to the Kestrel. Um, And again, because it didn't feed the target card, and because it didn't feed A, B, C, it really didn't help to go target Bluetooth, target Bluetooth. If you could have fed that, it would have been money. But because it's one range, one target at a time, it was easier to go on manual or without the Bluetooth connection. Boom, boom, boom. Write it down on your arm bar and, and then just get your range out of the Kestrel. But what I've kind of found in, in, in talking again with Finn accuracy, they were talking about because of gloves and different things for them with the cold and the weather, putting a, a raised in the armor of the Terrapin putting a raised space around the button to, one, protect it from accidentally bumping it like I did it, and two, to find it easier with a glove. Because the button is small and smooth, and it kind of blends in to the armor. You know, you kind of, like with me, with my hands and no gloves, it was not really that big a deal. But some of these guys, if you have heavy gloves on and it's winter, you you could probably ride right over that button. So I think his idea of having this raised edge around it is a good one. But, uh, you know, as far as accuracy went and getting the ranges to target, I think it was a really, really good... Um, it, it, the unit performed really well. It, becoming conscious of those extra menu features and the button push and the fact that the Kestrel uses... So many sub menus, you know, it, it it can become a time killer on a clock. So it's easier to kind of do it manually than to go electronic. Now, if you're out in you're shooting, you know, uh, you're hunting or you're doing something like that, it's not an issue. But when you're on a clock and, and, and you're going one, two, three, four, multiple targets until they connect, and they will. There, there, there's gonna be a lot of new things like the the app and the firmware, is going to bring a whole nother level of connected connectivity to the, the Vectronic Terrapin, right? When, when talking with Philip, his roadmap to me looks really, really promising. And, and it's not like really kind of pie in the sky stuff. They're, they're not thinking something like when you hear him, you go, are you guys going to be able to pull that off? It's more of, yeah, that makes sense and that's easy enough. They can do it. I know the, the it's going to be coming out shortly. Again, when, when the app comes out, you're going to see a whole nother level of connectivity with this Terrapin. And as well, they're going to keep moving forward, coordinating with other products and devices to get that connectivity out of it. So because this is a commercial unit, because it's being supported as a commercial unit, and that repair or anything that has to do, will more than likely um, go through... Um, you know, uh, through Leica and stuff like that, I, I don't think you'll have an issue with it. I I know they're really receptive and and they understand the mistakes of the past. And so talking to them, they go, yeah, that's that was not good. That was not good. We're gonna fix that. And and I I truly believe talking to them that they do have a positive roadmap m- moving forward with, with the Terrapin. But if you're a ten or fifteen guy. The only thing you'd be gaining is that connectivity in a lighter, smaller unit. So you're not going to be gaining the the ranging part. You know what I mean? You're, you have a better range finder. You just have less features of a range finder. You have a bigger, heavier unit, but farther distance. And in and, and so on. You know, maybe you can trade in, and sell your terrapin your your tens and fifteens. They generally do keep market value really well. So if you find your 10 and 15 for you personally is overkill, but that's what you were able to get and pick up at a good deal. Maybe you got in on one of those Euro optic deals or something like that. And and at the time you were able to get it and hold you over. Well, now you want something a little bit more carry friendly, people friendly kind of connectivity wise, then yeah, that would be your your need for replacing it. But if your goal is, hey, I bought a 375 shy tac I'm going to shoot 3,800 yards and you're going to trade in your 15 Charlie for a Terrapin X, you're going the wrong, excuse me, you're going the wrong way. You know, so that hopefully will help you make that decision a little bit easier, a little bit better, because that question's coming up over and over again on the 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 site. You know, people want to know, well, what do I do about my 10 or 15? It it's a different animal. Back to the match and talking lasers and stuff, because I had Pete there with me with Sig, and and uh, again, I'm really high on Sig's products, man. I'm really happy what SIG does in the 24 AB. The Kilo 2400AB is a great unit. I have one. I really like it. It works really well. It's every bit a good unit bang for the buck. On a tripod, I can get the mile target the same exact way. You know, I don't have any issues. Now, what I had to do with my SIG is I had to find where the laser hits in that donut, right, because it does have a big LED, The laser's not in the middle of mine. I think I said my laser's either uh, 10 o'clock or 1 o'clock. I'm just not remembering off the top of my head, but I know it's in the top corner, just one side or the other. I did my little telephone pole check that I spoke about before, where you take the donut, you kind of go to a telephone pole about 800 yards away, and you circle the telephone pole at the very top, find out where the laser's pointing exactly in reference to that radical aiming point, then you know where you can hit targets much better and, and you're fixing it because they are not always centered. I My Leica in the past, I had a Leica 1200. Mine used to hit at six o'clock on the box and not in the middle of the box. So you'd almost lollipop it, you know, in order to get a target. So I've seen this before and this is pretty common. But because the SIG has the firing solution in there and Vectronics had spoke about that, bringing the solution back from the Kestrel, so having a two-way communication where you fire, hit the target, the number goes to the to the device, and then the device sends back to the Kestrel a firing solution. That would be a great thing. But the Sig already has it. The Sig's got everything in it, but wind, right? You got to do your wind and figure that out. But it's gonna tell you. Hit the target. There's your dope. Hit the target. There's your dope. So what you can do is just end up writing your dope down. So you're cutting a step out if it comes down to time, you know, so it's target one, hit it. 1.2 target two, two 2.2 target three, 3.2 target four, 3.6. Now you're good. And all you got to do is drop down and shoot them, right? So everything's true and lined up because you cut that step out. And and I really think that that's that's a great way of doing things. So, if eighteen hundred's too rich for your blood, fourteen hundred for the Sig. And the Sig gives you such a nice package: that case, the pen, the weather flow meter, all that stuff. Because there is the wind meter in there, all that stuff in there connecting to your um your your, your device is a really good thing. I saw a guy had a threaded rod or something um through his pack. Almost like your uh your camelback. A lot of the packs we use have the um the the straw, the hose. I don't know what they what they call it their technical term, but the, the the hose that comes out of your camelback feeds through a hole in your pack and then you can hold it and then drink your water and do what you have to do. He had a rod through his pack there with the weather flow on it. He stood his pack up on end, right, so that rod was up in the air, he angled it in the right direction, and then he can go over and do what he want to, and that weather flow was beaming him data over to his device. So even remotely, he's able to pick up that weather flow data and get his wind calls and things like that. So... You know, there's a lot you can do with that SIG with the weather flows and things like that. And that would go back to Mike and Adam talking about the geoballistics, right? In geoballistics apps with the weather flow, you can put all that stuff together, mount that little weather vane meter to your pack somehow, have it sticking up over your head on a thin, light carbon fiber, little aluminum rod, whatever the case could be, a wooden dowel. You know, and, and have it sticking up through your pack, and and boom! Now now your money. You know, little wooden dowel in this thing with, with a, a attachment point on the top. You got no weight there. You you know, and, and you can go to town. So, there there are ways to skin this cat in a very positive way. But um, Pete's data worked great. It worked for Trig. It worked for Matt, and 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 those three guys shared all the Sig data. And because my my dope was two tenths quicker than theirs, um, I just ran my thing and I played with all that. I I looked, you know, I I had the Kestrel, yeah, the Kestrel around my neck. I had the Vectronics around my neck. I had the the Garmin Fortrex on my right hand. I had my Bravo watch. Not that I used it, but I just had my watch on my left hand. You know, I had a little Leica a pair of eight by twenty twos or something binos cuz you know you when you come up to the stages they don't want you ranging while you're getting the brief so it's best to have a pocket set of binos up so when the RO says through that gap in the trees throw your binos up okay I see the target get a mental picture of it and then when it's your turn to shoot you know where to go and then you could just bring the laser up but the other thing I want to talk about is um and it it's on me my bad I have and it's sitting right here I'm putting it back together and going to mount it over uh, I may even bring it with me is the sig Tango six five to 30 and I, I I had it to do an, an, an initial review of it and I used it, I reviewed it initially, and this has the level plex in it and everything. But what happened was kind of at the end for my wrap up, I dropped the ball and I went into what I describe as vapor lock. Because they changed the, the way my unit worked versus the production unit. Because I had a pre production one and it ended up swapping out the way the level plex worked and everything like that. But I mean, I really dig their floating dot reticle. The SIG reticle is like my kind of reticle. To me, this is like perfect. It's got two tense hash marks, it's got the floating dot in the middle, it's nice, big, easy, clean lines. So even if you're not on max power and stuff, it still looks big and fresh. You know what I mean? So there's no issues. But I was able to shoot Pete's rifle on the last stage. I ended up being 12 rounds short for the match. Um, And I talked about that yesterday. So I borrowed Pete's AT. He had the SIG 5-30 on. And honestly, it had a better picture than the Vortex, man. Um, I'm a vortex fan. I'm not trying to knock it, but people always ask me for comparisons and I generally don't do the the reviews from a comparison standpoint I, I I do it as a standalone here's what I saw here's what I do, and you know you make your own decision. It's your choice you're buying don't listen to me that way, but take the facts, put the facts against each other, and then decide well, I have to say the sig Tango was a better look. It was easier to burn through, and this one particular stage had an extremely difficult target. Targets weren't painted, they're shot up. Some of them' been out there for a long time, so you had to identify it. Then I mistakenly took they said that that there was a target you know we had the target at um through the hole, and then they said at like 10 o'clock from it, there was another target in the woods. But it was 10 o'clock and on the ground, and I went 10 o'clock high off the point. So the way the ground is, you know, you would almost have a big a dartboard, right? Well, that fan goes out, and I went over instead of kind of through. So the first shot, at first I saw a flower or something. There was something white, and they said, look for this white speck. And I saw a white speck at 10 o'clock. Then with the SIG optic, I looked down because they said, nope, that's not it. My first shot was a miss. The SIG optic, I looked down and over and I kind of saw the gray and I made out the impacts a bit. And all it was, it was a full lipstick target. But all you can see was like half the head and a quarter piece of a shoulder. It wasn't visible. And that was that other target I told you about where it was in the woods behind the stump as well. With those guys, with the light was really favorable when I had that, and I knew where the target was. I had a tape reference point, and it was back behind the stump. I can only make out the shadow and the outline of the head with the with the um vortex. In comparing the Sig to the Vortex, three to eighteen in the Vortex, five to thirty in the Sig, and I think I shot the Sig around fifteen power, maybe twenty power, um. Because you had to back down to see better. You know what I mean? Oh, hit my stuff. You had to back the power down to get a better picture. Too much magnification, you get a little bit of distortion. You get a little bit of clarity issues with a lot of optics. And it's not awful, but it's just enough to be annoying. But if you back that power down, it tends to clean up the image just a bit. And so I thought the Vortex had a little bit of a tint to it versus the SIG optic. I thought the SIG... Brought out the, the the contrast in the woods better to me. Uh, I saw the vortex as a more of a square range after that. You know, after comparing the two side by side, doing one, you know, doing all two days with it, and then going back to the Sig with Pete's rifle, I felt the Sig had a better look to it. It had a little brighter feel to it. You know what I mean? I was able to get in on the targets a little better. And again, the nice thing with this stage was all the targets were through trees you know none of them were out in the open and there was a broken target so you actually had to go back and forth through the trees twice instead of going you know three times and four times over coffee so i i'm definitely I- i'm definitely a sig fan and i think this was a good weekend for me to see the success those guys had using the SIG optic, and then me having a chance to use it in that context. In a lot of ways, I wish like during this match, I can go and and have like more than one product and shoot the morning with the Vortex, shoot the afternoon with a Sig, shoot the next morning with a Schmidt and Bender, shoot the next afternoon with a Night Force. You know, to me that would be optimal to you know, on my range, it's really nice. On, I mean, guys, I don't need people calling me. Um, so in 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 my in my mind, it, it's one of those cases where, um, you know, I I'd like to use it where I don't make the rules. I'm not out on my range. You know, I almost would not want to go like to Pike National to my shooting spot there now and start looking at these things in the woods and in the mountains because that's really wooded in that area. Because the green, the wooded, all that kind of stuff, you know, really has a give you a different picture compared to if you go to a square range, you know, your cores, your rifles only and places like that. Everything just is right out in your face. And that's kind of how my our range is, you know, it's right there. It's dead. It's it's general sloping. The targets are are well designated. But once you start hiding these targets, man, you start to see a little bit more out of it. And I have to say, I, I was definitely impressed with the uh, the way the the Sig was. Um, so I, I'm I'm going back and I'm gonna shoot this and do the full blown video review. Like I said, I used it on I used it a bunch of times, and I thought it was good. But it, it you know the level plex leveling your reticle with the leveling plex when you're setting up the rifle is beautiful. You know what I mean? You don't have to drop a plumb line. You don't have to shim it. You don't have to do anything. You can get in comfortable behind the rifle. So you lay down, you get your position, you get your head on it so you can relax and fall asleep. You can then draw the scope to you to get the eye relief just right. And then in that comfortable position, you can then adjust the level plex so the reticle is level. Once the lights go, I mean, you could just put a little Allen in there to tighten, you know, the back rings. And once you got that back ring so they won't move, you go just on the edge, right, just about to the edge. And and it, the ring, you know, that you can turn the scope, but it's not, you know, spinning free. And then you can go on from there. But uh, I really like that level plex. I like, you know, you can turn it on and off. It's not always in the way. We did make a point that, uh, talking about it uh, there. Some people feel it kind of draws your eyes away from the field of view because it's on that horizontal crosshair on the left and right side. They thought that maybe high or low would be better you know, next to each other so it didn't draw away your, your uh, field of view stuff. But if you turn it off, it's not an issue. I mean, honestly, unless you know you're in a screwy place, shoot normal, shoot normal, shoot normal. If you got kind of a messed up position, turn it on, level yourself up, and then go if you're in a mountain in a situation where you might be canting or you think you're canting, you can just pop it right on. So um, definitely some good stuff there with, with, with that kind of. Okay, so the the you there are we there are we working? Doesn't look like it's moving. Oh yeah, it's counting. Anyway, I, it's weird. Um. So anyway, uh, that was Thunder Beast talking about their bipod and stuff. So they they're doing their Gen twos but um no it was it was a good it was a it was a good way of going through let's like i said i like the um i i, I like the way that the the hang on a minute sorry trying to get my thoughts in my notes back up my phone everybody's kind of busting in with stuff i so i, I like going outside my comfort zone with somebody else's rules and that's one of the positive things of going to matches and stuff like that is that you're 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 now subject to the other person's rules. You're now subject to to you know their controls and not yours. Because I mean you, you like I said, we go out I get so used to going to the range and it's wide open, all the targets are known. I'm I'm so used to it I can close my eyes and draw a picture of it, you know, but then when you go to some place that's under another guy's set of rules, it it totally changes the 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 game. And, and so that, that's definitely a good thing. But, you know, one of the things with the match, it, it was if you carried it, you got to use it. You know, there was no restrictions on that. But the way the targets are, you know, you had to kind of shuffle around and the tripods were key. The question with the tripods became of what height do you use? What's going to give you the most stability while still being able to see and engage the target. Is it a sitting shot just to get over the you know the grass that was growing? Is it a kneeling shot to not only get over the grass that was growing, but maybe get over or through a hole in the trees? Then the next one standing. It, you know, not only get over the grass that's growing, but to get over the top of something else. Uh Carl likes to do these defilade shots where if you take a small gentle rise of a hill, so you you know, the hill rises up. And then it drops down to the other side. Then it rises up again and then goes and rises up to the woods. And as I said, between there, there might be trees. So when you're back down off the rise, we're not on the very top of the mound. We didn't take over the high ground. We have our head pretty much level or just above the rise. So that's all that the other side could see. Well, then you got to just cut that top. And then the round will drop down into defilade. And we were even saying how sometimes with the flat cartridges, you may kind of catch the top of something. In one case, I saw Matt and Pete, they were shooting the, the kind of the chaos, the, um, the chaos target with the, 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 product, the production, yeah, protection detail. There was the protection detail and then the coyote dog going back and forth. Well, they tried to shoot that prone. And when they look, they can see everything. But when they were shooting, they were getting this hit, miss, hit, miss, really inconsistent, um, you know, patterns and hit strategy. Well, they were catching the grass. And I'm like, dude, you're catching the grass, dude. And they they didn't quite hear me. And because there was so much going on and it's so fast and you're having to switch and shoot, you know, those extra targets in the more. And then, the I mean, it was... Seven, one, and handgun, you know what I mean? So seven static, the mover, and the handgun, all together in that same amount of time versus the four and four, you know, the four plus handgun. And so you can see every now and then the rounds and the way the grass would come back up, they'd catch the ground and then, you know, they'd hit one, burn through the grass and get it. The next one, the grass would deflect it a bit. So... You know, you have to look at that mechanical offset in some of these situations. Is your your scope can see, but is your muzzle clear? So that's why you got to really mess with that heights and everything, which is a good learning thing. Um, one guy hit a rock uh, uh, on um, Angie's stage, the rock pile, the one, the picture of me, kind of, you know, looking all yay with Pete's rifle and stuff. Somebody tried to shoot it back and up off the top. There's a, there, was, there was, you know, the multi-pile of rocks. And the top actually looked like a more um, comfortable position. You can almost sit down behind the rock and hang over versus where I was laying down in that, in that photograph with like a game changer on there. Well, one person actually didn't clear their muzzle and clip the rock. And that was about two feet in front of their muzzle. You know, and I've seen this at ASC happen. I've seen it in several places in these field courses where people will clear their scope and optic of view, but not clear the obstacle they're trying to get over the grass, the rock, and so on. And that creates all the problems and drama of hit, miss, hit, miss, hit, miss, hit, miss, instead of hit, 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 like they should have. You know, so that's definitely, definitely something to think about um you know what what's going on with, with these things is, is that you have to clear your muzzle in these stages um so again uh overall with the competition competitors were great man everybody everybody somebody post sent me a picture uh sunday night with everybody waiting for the scores and eating and cause we had food from Casey at B and T uh, AccuShot Atlas. Um, he gave food. And so we had a, we had like chicken dinner with potato salad, biscuits, beans, gravy, all that stuff, fried chicken. It was really good. Um, you know, and plenty for everybody to, so, you know, you come off the range at two, three o'clock and you're able to have a, a nice, you know, full meal. And, everybody hung out. They didn't split off into their clicks. And even if they did, the clicks were all blended together. You know, the ROs were so, I mean, I saw so many people going up thanking the ROs. Hey, thank you for doing this. The ROs being so nice. Hey, you did a great job. Oh, you're one of the best shooters. Hey, this was really good. Oh man, you probably learned a lot, you know, what you were just off and giving them that feedback and not just kind of assembly lining people. It's not just, okay, step up, shoot your match, here's your score, next shooter, step up, shoot your match, Here's your score, next shooter. They had banter. You know what I mean? They went back and forth with people. Uh, the, the, you know, when guys are picking up their brass and cleaning up the stage, they're thanking the .RO. for being so, you know, for volunteering for their time and things like that. But all the competitors were, were just really, really good. no attitude, no drama, nothing nothing like that. Um. Uh, one of my favorite stages, again, was this, the setup stage. And that was Carl son's stage. And, and where you're carrying your tripod, carrying your gear. And the nice thing is you can see the person in front of you kind of deal. Okay, we know we need a tripod for this stage. Well, you'd set up and say, okay, they're shooting, kneeling. Let's go kneeling. And you'd set your height up. And I actually took a picture of one of the guys, uh, Faisal's. Um, and he had the silver Sharpie marking on it. And he was able to go and say... You know, here's here's standing one, seating, kneeling. He had a S1 kneeling two, blah blah blah. He had it marked for sitting, kneeling, and standing and where to put the 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 thing so he could deploy it quickly. Well, this stage required you to deploy your bipod or your tripod from collapsed position under time. So that's that's the to me, it's not the shooting for guys, okay? It's not. Laying down, putting on your dope, managing the wind, and hitting the target. That's not the problem for people in competition. The problem is getting in to position and getting out or moving to another position. It's the movement. It's from the buzzer. What do you do when the, when the, when the RO says, time starts now, right? how are you moving up and deploying your system are you efficient are you are you not getting yourself out of your head because you're struggling with gear you know at one point i had the um the sling and i ended up taking like the slings off you know because it was kind of getting in the way a little bit so i wanted it off if i needed it i had it but with a lot of the tripod stuff and a lot of the way the things were going the sling kind of got in the way so for for certain stages that sling came off and, put, and went into my pack you know how how do you what are you going to do i use the tripod to range off of so i come up i put my rifle down in a specific spot my tripod deploys or do i have the laser already on the tripod sitting position kneeling position something like that boom 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 hit my targets laser comes off rifle goes on the tripod and like I said, I just use that pick rail with the anvil on the KDEX, right? Because right there in the middle, in the balance point, was a pick rail. Dropped it on, lock it down, go to town. Then, how am I setting up the tripod? My movement? How am I going adjusting? We, you know, we talked about putting that that reticle just below the target, so when my cheek goes on it, it rises right up into it. So there, there's a bunch of different things you can do this is what you practice at home off the range. In your garage, shut the door, go back to against the garage door, set something up you know, 10 feet in front of you and and give yourself a shot timer. Beep, goes off. You go up there and you set up and then see how long it takes you to deploy. A lot of discussion, guys who could deploy bags well, guys who could deploy tripods well, guys who use their equipment to their advantage under the time limit. At the same time, we've seen people Trying to do this stuff, getting tangled in their gear, end up throwing it out of the way, losing most of their time, and then trying to shoot it without any of that aid. They're completely out of their head now. They're completely messed up, and it it just doesn't work for them. Where you fall down in that case, you didn't practice getting in and out of position. So think about that, work on that. Your dope's probably good, man. Believe in your elevation, believe in your stuff, correct your wind calls on the fly as you have to. I mean, I had one target and this was kind of, I was asking Carl and I talked to him. I didn't know if it was, if it was a sun issue or a wind issue. So there was this target up on the hillside and it was about 600 yards and it was, I think, like an eight inch square. So the sun's out and, and you see the clouds in the pictures, lots of clouds. I'm on it, I'm hit, I got my three hits, well, I had to come, the way it went is I had to shoot that target, another target, third target, then I had to go back to the first target because one of the targets knocked down. So what they did is, if a target broke in the middle of the stage, or instead of cease firing and fixing it, you just repeated another target after. So shoot one, shoot two, shoot three, go back to one. If if another one broke, you'd shoot one, you'd shoot two, you'd shoot one, you'd shoot two. You know, well, this case, I shot one, all three hits. Went to two, went to three, came back to one. I shot the first one and I hit. Well, then the cloud moved and I can see the target appeared, appearance changed completely. Right? That the you I saw it beautifully now, because the bright sun didn't wash it out as much anymore. You got a little bit of that softbox feature in the shadowing, and now it looked nice and sharp. Well, now I had to go to a left wind hold because the first round missed. I moved over to the left to the left edge, shot, and I hit it. And the sun was coming from that angle and blowing. So I'm like, well, was that sunlight? So I talked to Carl. I said, have you noticed? And I'm thinking, Washington, it's been raining. It's green. There's moisture in the atmosphere. Humidity is high. So is it one of these Snell's Law kind of deals? Am I seeing this, you know, this refraction mirage type situation happening because of the moisture content in the air? And when the sunlight changed, with that moisture, did it give me the pencil look? You know what I mean? But what he's telling me is when that sun kind of goes in that cloud, it pulls a little bit of wind with it. And the wind was coming from that direction. So it was... And it gave like a mile to two mile an hour, which is almost imperceptible out there. You know, one mile an hour, you're not going to tell. But 600 and so yards away, if I had a center hold on one and you had a one to two mile an hour change, that would have brought me to the edge. That would have gave me maybe that four inches where I'm thinking it's sunlight. He's telling me it's wind up there. And, you know, that's his home range. He works that spot so he would know better. And that's why I made a point of asking him, sun or wind? He's telling me it's wind, but there was a verifiable change when the sun went behind the clouds and I was able to see that target different and, 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 you know, I'm down on the ground, I'm under the clock. This target was up three quarters away on the military crest of the hill and it would have picked up the wind a lot quicker than me, you know, because of that difference in, in height and range and everything else that it's up there, you know, we're, we're gaining 500 feet of, of height over my head at a 675-yard target away, it, it saw that, that change much different. And sunlight does have a big effect, heating the ground, changing everything. The, 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 the heat rises and it be, creates breezes and things like that. So all that definitely happens when, um, you know when the sun's heating the ground and especially in these fields. Again if you want to read some of that about especially this kind of terrain this is exactly the terrain that's talked about in the smoke jumper wind PDFs so the smoke jumper guys who have to sweat about the wind and all that stuff because if that changes direction on them the fire comes back on them that's their life so they have PDFs out there online about wind under these field conditions and definitely that sunlight that change that heating and cooling and all that has a factor so cool but um, it, it it was it was it was a great the the field matches are are really really good for this stuff because it's not controlled it's not the same for everything when you know when you got lanes in a square range it hardly ever changes it's blocking the wind to a certain degree there's there's no terrain features there you know it's it's you, you're you're in Florida Tennessee South Texas wherever the case may be. Yeah, you got that prevailing wind and like South Texas is mostly open fields with the breakup of, of some trees and some wash. So you get some small variations there. You go to like a core with the lanes and the winds. I've like When I go to core in, in like 6 millimeter, six 6.5 Creed, I don't think I've ever held off the target, you know, uh, maybe a half mil on a bad day. You know, here out in this range, you know, half mil's really consistent, and that might go to one, one and a half at those farther field targets. So I find that the win in the field matches is much, much harder than in these square reins kind of prop matches where the average range is 400 yards and, and you're never holding off a plate. You know what I mean? In that case, it's managing the prop and just making sure your dope is good in your steady you know and that's where all these these gadgets and toys come in to help them because they can do all that we're out in the field you're you're subject to the conditions a lot more it, the, everything else can you get through your range might be wrong because your laser didn't burn through the conditions as well they didn't give you the range you have to actually range it if you don't practice and you push the button on your laser and you hit below the target over the target past the target you know there's all those different factors that aren't a factor in the square range stuff where you get a match book and you know ahead of time. Most of these gadgets I use, like the downrange system, will only work when they give you a match booklet under the timing. You know what I mean? Where they can give it to you, you can preload everything. If you're if you're an NRL PRS kind of guy, that downrange system is your best bang for the buck, especially if they're gonna give you a range a match booklet ahead of time set it up the night before, you get to a stage you don't even have to think about it. You're at stage 1, pull it up, touch the back of your phone to that Downrange system card. There's stage 1 preloaded for you. Go to stage 2, pull up stage 2, load it, you're done. Doesn't even have to come into your mind. All you have to know is what order you're going to shoot something. You know, so um I really think in that context those products work better where in this field context you know it's it's more of a manual kind of deal because it it just it's it's trying to range anything and until we can get our range card and target card loaded from multiple firings of the laser where you can go through and range it load it range it load it range it load it then that'll work out better for us but right now we have to range it and either let it dope it with the sig or range it and get the number and get the dope Range it, range it, range it. Write it all down. Get your dope and yada, yada. I just said it so you know what the deal is. Right, guys? Anyway, thanks for listening. I'm on the airplane tomorrow. I'm going to try to probably do one more of these tonight so I can upload it tomorrow for you guys because I still have a couple things to talk about um, from the match to get over. So if I get to my, um, uh, let's see. Yeah, I got some of the other stuff shooting through the little pools and then I want to get into match etiquette. Um, Because I just and, and that's kind of a fall down on me that I don't really talk about the shooter's etiquette in a new shooter and how to how to act, you know, how to be how to how to come into a, a competition as a brand new guy, as somebody who's never been there before. You know, you can like I said, you can prep and prepare your your data and your ballistics and what you're going to use and set your rifle up a certain way. You're going to find carrying things are, is going to change. Like I said, I saw way too many people carrying way too much stuff. I mean, way overloaded. You don't need that much to do this. You know what I mean? Your, your, your rifle and magazine, a sling for that, your, your pack and your stuff, you don't need to put the kitchen sink in there. I mean, I even think like with Chaz's you know, Comanche bag, Don't carry the big stuff. And then I carried the air-filled, like Crosstack has all that stuff air-filled too. I'd be carrying that air-filled stuff more than I'd be carrying those sandbags. You know, those four and five, six-pound sandbags when you got to walk five, six miles on top of everything else, it's a lot. I mean, if you're a bigger guy and you don't mind carrying it, okay, that's cool. But for most of us, I think it's too much to be carrying. Like I said, I saw, you know, Jim... With those operator Eberly stock packs full, I was like, "Wow, dude, what are you carrying?" That Vorn links was money. It's as big as you need. Go look at the, go look at the um, cubics of the Vorn, and then look at those Eberly stock and try to bring yourself together when you're looking to buy a pack. um, I'll give you. I'm gonna go look up my other one when I talk about that carrying stuff more. I'm gonna look up how many, uh, how much uh, it can carry. And and then I'll give you a number that you can look at so you can avoid the ones that are way too big and go like I have Kefaru that I've used a lot and I really like my Kefaru pack. It's a it's a mid size. It's not too big. Like my Marauder would be perfect. The um you know, the X-ray is perfect. And this one has an odd name, so I don't even know the name of what I, I this one's called. It's got a slightly different name, so I don't know it off the top of my head. But I think it's a great size to be carrying, holds tripods well and does everything. It's a a good pack to carry. All right, guys, I'm signing off. Going to get this uploaded to you. Mike's over at Mile High. I've been talking with Mike. I know he's got a good thing on wind for you guys. He's been crunching numbers on wind and how to simplify the wind calls when you don't have any point of reference. So uh, we'll be talking to Mike about that and getting together. And hopefully I may just have him and Adam discuss it while I'm away. But I'm gonna also, what I'm in Alaska. I'm gonna try to do my uh, podcast with Mark, uh, Mark Taylor, my platoon sergeant, do the classes with up there. We'll talk with some of the students like we did, and and we'll we'll try to get together and have a good old time. Alaska's just a you know fun time when it comes to the classes. Everybody's pretty light and and happy to be there. So thanks for listening to the Everyday Sniper. Please share, please follow. Go over to Snipers Hide, discount codes. I'm putting some of them up. I just got more texts and everything. I got to get caught up. I'm I'm you know running behind with these tight timetables and everything. But there's definitely some discount codes. Thank you guys. Have a great one. Later.